0: in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Don read these 10 verses to us. This is message number 9. We'll have 10 messages in this series. We'll finish this chapter next week. These 10 verses that we uh, just read together are no doubt the most well-known of the passages about Samuel As God uh, comes and uh, with an audible voice calls out to Samuel, and Samuel hears that voice and thinks that it's Eli, and and three different times (laughs) runs to Eli, and uh, Eli sends him back until finally Eli realizes uh, that uh, something uh, special is going on here with Samuel. We'll look at that story. In our family, it's it's uh, we have a, a funny story, true because Anne's brother is named Samuel, and uh, they were children as his her father was preaching, of course, around the country and so forth. And uh, part of Sam's testimony is, you know, Sam, is that he actually thought when he was a boy that this story was about him. He just didn't remember it, that uh, the Bible actually had a story about him and and uh, God calling him, and so. Uh, we laugh and that's part of, part of his uh, testimony. But you know, w- what is true is that God does begin in the life of children. He begins uh, calling them. He begins teaching them. He begins uh, speaking to them in ways that will eventually bring them to salvation and then perhaps uh, various services uh, for the Lord. Uh, just last night, I got a phone call. We had been to Chicago and, and just got back uh, last night and I was sitting uh, downstairs at my desk, and my phone rang. Of course, you can see who's calling, and it said Aaron Shreppford, of course, my son-in-law in Alaska. But well, when I said hello, it was our uh, granddaughter Katie, 8-year-old Katie. She said, I tried to call Grandma, but she wasn't close to her phone, so I called you. I, now, I don't know whether her parents know she's using their phone, but uh, anyway, she's calling Grandma and Grandpa. And uh, I said, what are you doing, Katie? And she said, I'm making brownies oh, yeah, I said, uh, tell me about that. Well, it, to make a long story short, there were, uh, Aaron and Rebecca had to go to a funeral uh, last night, and uh, th- they were going to drop the kids off at a family in the church and uh, then go on to the funeral just themselves. And so Katie was making brownies to take to the family that they were going to so that they had something to feed them when they got, <laughs> when they got there. But uh, she was happy that she was doing something that would help people, you know. And uh, so here she is. Her parents have to go to a, uh, a funeral connected to ministries around. And uh, this was their job to go to that house. And so she's baking, she's baking brownies to help out. And, you know, I thought, how many of our kids our grandkids? We hear stories like that. And we realize God has his way of working in them and teaching them things at very young ages that are going to blossom into other service to the Lord and uh, used uh, by God uh, to call them, sometimes to ministry, but sometimes just to their life's vocation, what God wants them to, to be doing. And he's training them and teaching them in those things. And so uh, we read this story and uh, we make our applications to the Lord and rightfully so, even though Sam was a little off in thinking that, uh, you know, it was actually about him, but in a way it is about him. What does happen here is, is that God breaks a silence Uh, As God speaks to this young boy, uh, God has not spoken like this to a leader in Israel for quite some time. Uh, Really, uh, since they've had a leader like this, it has been since the days of Joshua, uh, four or five hundred years before. Uh, But even if we go back to the times of the judges, there at least was a Gideon and an Othniel and those judges who really did follow the Lord and some judges who weren't so great. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. I opened quickly my old Schofield Bible that has uh, Bishop Usher's dates at the top. And the last date that he has in the book of of uh, judges is 1406 BC and in this chapter of 1 Samuel he had 1165 BC now maybe that i think that was a little too early but the the fact is you have you have almost 300 years or so here before the time uh, since the time of the judges 300 years is a long time especially for a nation like Israel to go without a voice from God Uh, Without a leader who, uh, a prophet who who was in communication with the Lord, imagine America. uh, You know, is only we're we're 241 years old, and uh, uh, that that there not been any influence from God at all. There never been a preacher that was full of God's spirit. There's never been a Jonathan Edwards or D.L. Moody or anyone else like that uh, for 200 years. We'd be hurting. But imagine in a theocracy where God gives you instruction and God leads you and God tells you when to go to war and when not to and when to plant your crops and when not to and no word from God for two to 300 years. It, it was a time of silence that was going to be broken, much like the time between Malachi and Matthew, those 400 years between the Testaments, and finally the silence was broken when Jesus came. I have a great book on my shelf by Sir Robert Anderson. Uh, you may remember him. And it's called The Silence of God, and his, his point is that when Jesus returns, the silence will be broken. There's been silence for almost 2,000 years, actually uh between when God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and when he will reveal himself again at his second coming. And when God breaks that silence, it will be quite something. As a matter of fact, I wrote down Revelation 1-7 of that time. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And also they which pierced him, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him john says even so come lord jesus i you know i can't wait until that time well when god calls he breaks silence and uh, here he's going to break the silence uh that even was in samuel's life but when god calls he also changes things and uh in this life of samuel things are going to change quickly now uh, no longer just uh, the little boy at home, no longer just uh, in, the, in the safety and confines of the, of the tabernacle setting, but now things are going to change with him. I wrote down these thoughts. You know, when God calls, he changes things, and that is he always uh, calls us to leave something. When God speaks to our heart, when God calls us to do something for him, uh, it always involves leaving something, something you'd rather be doing. Maybe in your life, God talks to you and calls you away from a sin in your life that has has crippled you spiritually, and God calls you to leave that. Maybe it's an old life. And of course, when he calls us to salvation, that's what he does. He calls us to leave that old life, and we make a change. Uh, Paul will describe it in our, uh, in our passage tonight in 1 Thessalonians, we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's true. And sometimes it's just... Uh, uh, things like that that we need to leave behind. But God all, always calls us to something. If God calls us to leave something, He's always got something better for us. Salvation, of course, is, is that way, and we all have a testimony for the, uh, of our salvation, how God saved us from this and He saved us to that and blessed us and gave us so much. When God calls it all, it always costs us something. It costs us our old sin. It costs us our old life, our own plans that we had. We're going this way. I'm going to do this. And God calls and says, no, come to me. And we leave those old plans and come his way. And sometimes even as, as believers, the way God calls us can cost us much in this life. Uh, sometimes friends, sometimes even family. Uh, sometimes a position and wealth and all the rest. When he calls us, we have to answer it. But it's always to gain something, isn't it? Uh, we gain heaven most of all when God calls us. And uh, thank God for that. If we lose everything else on this earth, at least we gain heaven. But we gain rewards that we will have throughout eternity. We are the called of God. Remember this verse in 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's a great thing to be the called of God. Well, I want you to look at this outline that you have in your bulletin, uh, these three thoughts. And I kind of uh, divide our passage into into these thoughts. Uh, God will call us from something. God calls us within our circumstances. And God always calls us to something. We're going to look at these things. In the first three verses, the situation that God calls us from And notice, uh, first of all, of course, we know this, that there is a growing wickedness going on in Israel at this time. Uh, Things were going downhill, a growing darkness, and even the ministry itself, uh, Eli was old and out of control, and his two sons... Uh, Hophni and Phinehas were not believers and were corrupting the ministry. And so the wickedness was great and other people were affected by it. People were discouraged in the house of God and discouraged from coming to the feast days like they should come and and bringing their offerings. Uh, And uh, yet that went on. And here God is going to call Samuel in that environment, You know, I I happen to think that there's an old statement that familiarity breeds contempt. You know, sometimes when we're too familiar with something, uh, the the shine is off of it. The the blossom is off the rose, and and, uh, we can begin not to appreciate what God has given us. I I think that's true in our country, is it not? We're so used to the freedoms that we have. We're so used to being blessed of God. We're so used to having uh, the ability to do what we have that we get careless with it and we're unthankful about it. Well, the same thing can happen around the house of God. And it happens, of course, in the church of the Lord Jesus. We, uh, we can forget what a blessing it is for God to have saved us and God to have placed us in this current life that we're in. And church can become boring or church can become kind of lifeless and we don't put forth the effort that we should put forth. And uh, we become part of the problem instead of part of the solution and instead of part of the blessing. And so uh, we can become like that even as believers uh, as these things happen. But the good news is that one person can even make a difference. And in this case, one small boy, Josephus, uh, in his account of the story, makes jo- uh, or, uh, Samuel, excuse me, ab- about 12 years old. Probably somewhere correct. He's he's grown up a little bit. He's he's gone through those those uh, young years. He's 10 to 12 years old. Uh, Josephus likes that age because this was the age where Jesus kind of separated himself from his parents and said, I must be about my father's business. And here's kind of a, a very typical person that, uh, like Jesus at 12 years old, is going to be called by God to do his father's business, and he's going to set off in kind of an adult manner uh, even. And I think that's so. I thought this was a beautiful statement by old William John Dean, an older commentator. He said, like some sweet refrain in a, glory, in a gloomy poem, like a soft strain in some tempestuous piece of music, the notices of the early life of this holy boy break in upon the narrative of vice and weakness. Here is, here is a ray of sunlight into the darkness, a one boy, one hope left for Israel, and God comes and speaks to this boy. And so there's a growing witness, but we notice in the first verse also, secondly, that there there is a real lack of God's word, isn't there? Again, he says, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision, or the new King James has rare and no new revelation, which, of course, is exactly right. Uh, God was not speaking. There was no prophet to give the vision, no prophecy, no word from God. There was no new revelation coming at all, and we know for two to three hundred years and things had sunk to this place. You remember that, that the writer of Hebrews said, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, and yet now he's not speaking. So what do, do the people do? Amos, that minor prophet gives a prophecy of the end times in which we live and he says in that end time when before the Lord comes again he says it like this in Amos eight eleven and 12 behold the days come saith the Lord God that I will send a famine in the land not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. A prophecy of our own day. And isn't that the truth, that everyone thinks they have a word from God or seeks a word from God, and yet there's a shortage in our own land of the very word of God. And there was in that day. And then thirdly, I want you to just notice under this situation, The the lateness uh, of the hour, it's kind of a a sweet uh, vision or or, or picture here that the writer paints of what's going on. It says uh, in verse 3 ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, you know that there was the uh, golden candlestick, uh, the menorah that stood on the left side as you entered into the holy place. And in this holy place, here was the lampstand over here and the table of showbread over here, and the altar of incense then at the, at the end of it, and then a large curtain, and behind that curtain, of course, is the very ark of God, the presence of the Lord into which you weren't allowed to, to go, and only the priest could go into that area. And so here in the evening, uh, it was the custom, as I understand it, to, to the, the middle Candle of the seven lamps was always lit, but the six were lit every evening and then extinguished every morning. And that was part of the duty of the priests who could come into this holy place. And so here is little Samuel, who's been trained to do this, and it's nighttime. Everything is quiet. Of course, this is. Uh, quiet Shiloh, that little town up in the hills, out of the hustle and bustle of the of the other cities, quiet, peaceful evening time, little Samuel going about his daily job that he has done day after day after day, and he makes sure those six other uh, wicks are lit in the lampstands, and uh, he uh, begins to, to find his place to sleep, evidently was fixed in, near this area, And evidently, Eli was accustomed to sleeping near this area, too. Now, this is the tabernacle reconstructed at Shiloh, but they made allowances for the people who had to live there and the attendances and all of the people who who did things at the the temple. And so little Samuel has his place. Eli has his place. And uh, he is going to be there, and he's going to lie down uh, at that place close to Eli, close to God. Right behind that curtain is a place reserved only for the holiest of times and only the holiest of people, the high priest. And so he's used to this and he's left in that situation. Let me tell you, children who grow up near the house of God and near the things of God and in the presence of, of uh, the ministries of God uh, have a great advantage when it comes to God calling them. And, and Samuel had this great advantage. So here's the situation God calls him from. And secondly, the situation God calls him in. And that's the unique thing about this story and why we enjoy it. And when we read it again, as Don read it to us uh, a little bit ago, we, we uh, identify with it in a certain way, but we can kind of see it happening. So here in that, near that holy place, uh, here, here is little Eli on a cot or a pad or whatever he's sleeping on. and Not far away, within speaking distance, is old Eli who stays close to the temple. Who knows where his sons are uh, at this time? But he's there, and he's close by, and you, you have this, this wonderful event happening. Notice four times that God is going to speak. And the first three times, uh, Samuel hears the voice and uh, rightfully believes, of course, that it's Eli calling him because he hears his name and he hears the name Samuel. And he says, yeah, what do you want? It's kind of like, you know, we might say, here am I. And so, uh, you know, if, if, you've, uh, if you've taken care of older people uh, and you hear them call in the night, you know, you have to get up and go, right? You you don't say, what do you want? And wait for them to come to you. You're taking care of them. So he hears the name and he knows that uh, Sam, probably Eli has called him many times uh, before he's used to this. So he runs uh, to Eli. So you get the story and Eli says, no, I didn't call you. I don't know what you heard, but it wasn't me. And he, he's not, you know, figuring this out now. So he goes back three times. That happens until finally the fourth time, as we'll see, uh, Eli catches on and instructs Samuel as to what to do on that fourth time, and sure enough, God does come again and call. Matthew Henry, again, made this statement, God calls us by his word, and we take it to be only the call of the minister. you hear what he said? Sometimes God calls us by his word, we take it only to be the voice of the minister. So if I'm preaching God's word to you, and God speaks in your heart, and God says, you know, you need to be doing this. You know you know this is your, my will for your life. It's easy for us to say, ah, well, that's what the preacher said. <laughs> you know, that, that preacher, you know, he's always preaching at us these things. And we take it to be the voice of the minister rather than the voice of God. And in this innocent way, uh, Samuel kind of did the same thing. But let me, let me give you five facts, as I call them for lack of a better description, under point number two uh, of this situation God calls us in. The first, and we're told this in verse 7, that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now that's an expression for Old Testament salvation, he didn't know the Lord in a salvific way. He didn't know. He didn't know Him as His Savior yet, and the and the the Word of God was not revealed to him, had not been known by him in this way. And so, in his heart, this may be his very salvation time. At least when he becomes con, uh, he he becomes aware and firm in his salvation. You, you see God's providential calling. You know. God, God works on us for a long time before we get saved, doesn't he? God begins to convict us, and God begins to draw us, and we learn some verse in Sunday school, and uh, you know, we just learn the verse to put a sticker on a board or something, and we don't think much about it, but that verse begins to work on us. Uh, I remember in my children, uh, when they were at that age of salvation, in a Christian home where we read the Bible and said prayers at night and and things like that. And uh, I remember with all of them, there, there comes that time when all of a sudden they break out in tears and heartache and they come weeping to you and saying, uh, you know, I'm afraid. And you find out that they're afraid of being lost. And God has been working on their heart all through those times. And you lead them to the Lord. And what a precious, what a precious time that is. So Understand that children are brought along by God uh, even before they know Him, and it's our job to do that and to plant those seeds in their lives, and it will bear fruit uh, eventually. Secondly, Samuel was making himself available to God, wasn't he? Uh, Partly because this was his situation, and his parents had put him in this situation on purpose, of course. But he was making himself available, and and to apply that to us as adults, even we have to make ourselves available to God. He stayed close to the things of God, as we've already noticed. He was there where God speaks. He was there where God's symbols were—the the the golden lampstand and the and the uh, unleavened bread and the and the altar of incense and all of those things. Uh, he was close to. He was a a servant, and he had a servant's heart. And One of the great things we see about Samuel is uh, he didn't just turn over and put the pillow over his ears because Eli was calling him. He had a servant's heart. He had a soft heart. And we need to build that into our children, but we need to have it in ourselves, too. We need to have a soft heart that when God speaks to us, it burdens us. It bothers us. We need to do something about that. We need to respond somehow to what God is doing. And then also under that same point uh, in that he made himself available, partly he didn't understand, right? Samuel didn't understand what was happening. As a matter of fact, Eli didn't understand what was happening at first. And there's no sin in misunderstanding. We will always go through that, and even in our adult lives, God will be burdening our heart for something and leading us in a certain way, and we don't understand it at first. We don't understand why we have that burden. We don't understand why that affects us so much, why we got a blessing out of that even if no one else did. I mean, God works on us, and we don't understand, and, and then it becomes clear. And then we understand what God is doing, and we follow it. And so Samuel made himself available to these things, and, of course, it paid off in his life. Thirdly, uh, God knows us by name, and that's a good thing. You think God doesn't know your name? You think God can't stand uh, beside you if he wanted to and say your name? I, th- I thought just briefly through uh, the, the, the characters in the Bible, and my mind just went to these kinds of things. Genesis 3, 9, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Here's God walking with Adam. Of course, it was pretty easy. He was the only man on earth at that time, so it's pretty easy to know who Adam was. But, but, he, but they had a relationship, and he called Adam. Remember Genesis five twenty four. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. God and Enoch walking along, talking together. God knew Enoch, of course he did. Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When all the world was turning away and God was so disgusted with the whole world and was going to destroy it, he knows Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And who can forget Job 1, 8? The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Satan, do you know him? And Satan probably said, oh, I know him well. (laughs) I know his name too. You know, Jesus said to Peter one time, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan knows your name. And God knows your name. And it's a good thing. And And if God knows your name, and by the way, how many stars are there in the sky, <laughs> and God has a name for every one of them? <laughs> and there aren't that many people on the earth. If God created all the stars and knows the names of all the stars and all the galaxies and all the heavens and names them all, He knows your name. And he knows, if He knows that, He knows your actions. He knows everything about your life. The Bible tells us that God knows our thoughts. We don't even have any secret thoughts. God knows that thought that comes into our heart, though no one else on this earth knows it. And he knows what's in your heart. The Bible describes it as the reins of the heart, Uh, like a horse that, and you're guiding it with the reins. God has his reins upon your heart and he can turn your heart where he wants. So in all of these things, we see in this story and we understand God is a personal God. And God deals with us personally, and we need to understand that we're in the same place that Samuel was in. And then, fourthly, we may know God's Word without knowing God's voice. We may know His Word, but we don't know the moving of His Spirit in our heart. I don't believe that God speaks to people audibly in this age of grace. I think that that is, was something for that age or for the age of Christ and the apostles when he did do that, of course, and I believe that that happened exactly as the Bible describes. So, so we're not listening for some audible voice to ring out of the heavens to us, but do not we have the Holy Spirit within us? And, and doesn't he agree with our spirit And don't we feel the prompting and the leading and the speaking of the Holy Spirit to our hearts? And what I'm saying is uh, we can know the Word of God in and out. We can know our theology. We can quote verses. We can do all the things that we need to do. And yet our heart is closed to the very voice of God through the Holy Spirit who lives within us and wants to lead us. So when is the last time that you felt conviction? (laughs) I mean, you know, surely we ought to feel conviction. All of us are sinners. Uh, we don't leave, live sinless lives. Does God convict us? Sure he does. And You ought to feel that. And yet, when, when has God led you to do something positive? When is the last time God said, I want you to speak to this person? I want you to witness. I want you to do this. You know, there's a need over here, and you ought to fulfill it. So do that. Urge someone to do that. Whatever. When is the last time God has spoken to your heart like that? Sometimes we hear the voice, but we don't know who it is. Uh, I thought of Acts 9, 4, and here's Saul of Tarsus. If there's anybody who knew the word of God, Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of a Pharisee did. But, but Jesus uh, appears to him on the road to Damascus, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. He knew his, he knew his name. He knew who Saul was. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? Who are you? He didn't even know. A a great theologian of his day, Dr. Saul of Tarsus, didn't even know the voice of the Lord. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. We ought to understand that. Know the voice of the Lord in your heart. And then, fifthly, if we're faithful over the small things, God will make us ruler over larger things. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Uh, Jesus at the, at the judgment will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. So here's this boy up until the time when he's 10, 11, 12 years old, been serving God and doing what God wants him to do faithfully as a little boy, left there by his parents uh, at three or so years old. And now still serving and, and corruption going on all around him. He sees the wickedness of it, but he stayed faithful as a boy. And God says, since you are that boy and you are that child, I'm going to use you in Israel. I'm going to use you as the leader, as the spokesman, as the statesman in this country. So God can use you. And uh, you need to remember: being faithful in a few things, he may he, he may use you in greater things. And one of the applications of Jesus' word, of course, is uh, in that parable, is that one day we will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years, and we will give, be given places of blessing and authority uh, uh, based partly on how we have been faithful in this life. So be faithful. He'll give you a place of blessing in his kingdom. If I had to add a sixth thought to this second point, it would be what Don mentioned uh, when, he, when he finished reading the passage, and that is, aren't you glad God is persistent? <laughs> aren't you glad he didn't give up the first time when Samuel didn't, didn't uh, recognize the voice? Uh, and you know what? God doesn't give up on us, and I'm glad, and, and it's one of the things that we're thankful for. Fourth time, by the way, the fourth time after calling him and trying to convince him that this is what he wanted to do. So when God calls us, he's persistent. We should have ears to hear what he has to say to us, and so this is the situation then that God calls us in. So thirdly, there's the situation that God calls us to, In other words, there's a door opening now to Samuel to something new and something greater and something in his adult life that uh, God will use him in great ways. And so we see that then in verse 8, 9, and 10. Let's read that again. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. He arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for thou didst call me. Now this has been three times. And notice this word, Eli perceived. Even old Eli, even even the man that had failed a lot of ways in his life, can't miss this one. He perceives, he realizes what's going on. Therefore, Eli said unto Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went, lay down in his place, and the Lord did come stood, and called us at other times. We have the name given twice now, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel does exactly what Eli had instructed him to do, speak, for thy servant heareth. A few thoughts here. Number one, the situation that God calls us to, that there is a taking of the baton, so to speak, and passing it on from one generation to the next. At one time in our lives, we're we're the younger one. We're the one that the previous generation is handing off the responsibility to and handing off uh, this, and we're to take it up. We're to take it. Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. So when you tell me what to do, I'll, I'll do it. So there's that handing off, and we need to understand uh, that that is happening. And, you know, when, when it says Eli perceived, it's not wrong for us to read into that what must have been going on in Eli's mind. He knows he's old. He knows he's failed in a lot of ways. He knows that his own kids are not going to serve God and are going to be judged by God. He knows by now his own household is going to be removed from this. He knows all of this. Imagine what it is that when he, at 90 years old, having tried to serve God all of his life with successes and failures, and now he realizes God is not talking to him even as the high priest. He's talking to this 12-year-old boy. He's talking to this young one just because he's the innocent-minded one that is willing to say, whatever, Lord, I'll do it. You just tell me. So, so understand, you know, kind of where uh, Eli's coming from, and I have some sympathy for him in that, right? I mean, I was young once. We were Many of you were. Uh, we had fathers in the ministry. We had people who discipled us disciplined us trained us and uh, needed for us to pick up the responsibility so we did and now maybe we're at the other end of our life and we need somebody to pick up after us who's going to who's going to do it after us with our successes and failures be more successful than we were be more godly than we were do more for God than we did I think Eli wanted that someone said this quote Before he makes the sun to set on one righteous man, he makes the sun to rise on another. Before it totally goes out with one man, God is already working on the next to pick up the baton and do the things God wants him to do. It's not easy to lose our younger generation to see them go off and serve God, but praise God that they do. I'm glad for my own kids. I don't like it that they're spread all over the world and places, you know, it, it takes a long time to go see. But I'm glad they're serving God. You're glad your kids are serving God. Wherever, wherever the Lord takes them, uh, that's the safest place for them to be. Uh, they're, they're not out of God's will. That's where they need to be. And they need to pick up the faith and pick up the baton and and go on with it. So the first thing I see in verse 8 is that when Eli perceived this, uh, that was heavy on his heart, but he knew what he had to do. And and secondly, there's an offering of ourselves to God. There has to be that time when we, like Samuel, are told, go wait for the voice of God, make yourself available. And so Samuel says, okay, I've been, I've been there three times already, <laughs> you know. It's familiar, but if this is what I should do, I'll go back and make myself available. And he does. He goes back, finds his little bed. Can you imagine what he was thinking? I don't know, you know. Uh, you know, when, when Eli said, if you hear this voice again, address him as the Lord, Oh, really? That's what may be happening? I don't know what thoughts were going through Samuel's head, but uh, he it, it says in, in verse 9 that he did it. He went as at other times and made himself available to God. I'm just saying, folks, that we, we have a way often of not making ourselves available to God. We don't want to hear it. We don't want the job. We don't want the responsibility. I don't want the Lord to speak to me and say, here's what I want you to do. So you're busy here, busy there. Don't come here. Don't read. Don't pray, whatever. We have a way of not making ourselves available. God speaks to us through his word and speaks to us through his spirit. We need to have a soft heart and make ourselves available to that. So go lie down, listen for the voice of the Lord. And if, if he does, I, I kind of like or notice that word too, you know. Uh, so, so if he's going, if he says it again, if you hear it again, verse nine, then this is how you answer. So, second or, or thirdly, here, you remember that expression: "Be still and know that I am God," mm-hmm. Psalm forty-six. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. So Samuel has to go back and be still and listen. In the quietness of that holy place with nothing else going on, wondering. Maybe he was thinking, you know, if this is the Lord, I've missed it three times. Three strikes and you're out. (laughs) You know, I I doubt if he's going to say do this again. I haven't understood. I haven't listened. But he's there and he's listening for it. And Eli has told him if you hear this voice again, then you reply like this, I'm ready, Lord. Speak, because I'm I'm listening. That would be a great attitude to get up with every morning, wouldn't it? We get up, we open God's Word, we read it, we pray, and of all the other prayers that we pray and all the other things that we say, we say before that devotional time, Lord, show me your will, and I will do it. Impress upon my heart what you want me to do, I'll do it. And that's how Samuel is lying there now, being still, knowing that he is God, and that if he calls, I'm going to answer. And so verse 10 happens. The Lord, notice this, he came, he stood, and he called at other times. God is faithful. God's not going to give up. And we have the name twice here. I don't know why that is. (laughs) Maybe the first time shocked Samuel a little bit. He had to repeat it. I I doubt that. But but we have it twice, kind of for emphasis here. Samuel, Samuel. God is urgent now. God knows he's listening now. He has him where he wants him now. And he does it as other times. Samuel, Samuel. And what is Samuel going to do? Run to Eli? No. Now comes the hard thing. He knows he's speaking to him. He's not Samuel or, or Eli, I mean. He's, he, it's not someone else. This is the Lord. So, what does he do? Speak. Your servant's listening. What, a, what an invitation to us. What, a, what an invitation to when we hear the word of God and we sing an invitation song and we invite the Lord to search us and, and speak to us, that we would say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And, you know, what I noticed here is verses 11 and 12, if we can read on just a little bit farther, because I thought, you know, this is a tough message for a 12-year-old boy. Twelve years old. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. That's a pretty rough statement for a twelve-year-old. The weight of the nation upon his shoulders, the weight of the priesthood upon him. But God has prepared him. And he has given himself to the Lord, and he's ready to do it, to know that God's will. This last week I was reading a little book from F.B. Meyer uh, called Fellowship with God. F.B. Meyer, a British preacher from a couple generations ago, and I like to read. Uh, and in this book he, he was talking about a, an experience that he had uh, when uh, he was crossing the Irish Channel on the other side of England, between Ireland and and, uh, England. And he was on a ship, and it was late at night, and they were coming into the harbor, and it was a dark, kind of stormy night, and you couldn't see. And of course, in those days, uh, you know, being on a ship, especially coming in among the rocks and the reefs and into the harbors was a dangerous thing. And so he described how he went to the captain of the ship, and he said, how in the world can you do that? How can you guide the ship uh, in a night like this? And he said, the captain pointed me off to the horizon where I could see three lights. And he said, you see those three lights? He said, yeah, I see them. He said, I steer the boat until those three lights line up. And when those three lights line up, I go right toward them. And when I do, I am brought safely into the harbor. So he said, I remembered that experience that he had on that ship so so meyer says three lights in your life need to line up number one is god's inner voice the holy spirit being able to speak to your heart can he speak to your heart is that light burning secondly he said is god's written word and that is are you do you know that what god is leading you to and calling you to is also uh, right with his word and and consistent with the word of God and then he says thirdly the third light are his providential circumstances in your life that he has lined up and put in place for you to do this and he said if those three lights get in a row then go ahead God is going to bring you safely into his will, into his harbor. And I thought that's exactly uh, even what Samuel experienced here. He knew this was God. He knew uh, he had something to do. All of the circumstances of his life were ready for this. And he said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Whatever you want, I'll do. So where are you? Has God lined those things up? You made yourself available. Uh, Can the Holy Spirit lead you? At whatever time in your life, young or old, There are things for us to do, things for us to do today and tomorrow. Let God work in those and bring you into his will. There's nothing like it at all. Stand now with me if you will, and as we stand, we'll prepare to sing a song of invitation these songs designed for uh, the Lord to speak through the word that we've just read, and yet to speak to us personally and and say, this is what I want for you. This is how I want you to take the message, so you listen to that in your heart. Father, now uh, thank you for this wonderful story. Thank you for Samuel and his willingness uh, to uh, follow you and to make himself available to you. I pray, Father, for all of us, young and old, wherever we are in our life and however uh, God is calling us now, that we would hear it, that we would know it is true to your word, and we would see how you're working in our lives and then follow your will. Do that in our lives. Help us as we sing this song to truly surrender ourselves to you. And Father, we ask that you would lead us and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing the song, the invitation is open,